Well, a warm welcome to everyone who is online, West Tonka, Bush Lake Campus, as well as everyone here at Chanhassen. And uh, we are kicking off our Advent series today. It's called The Gift Exchange. And what you can anticipate over the next couple of weeks are more stories. So every single week, we're going to hear a story from our church family. And it just reminded me of this, that how many know that the church is not a building? The church is people. And we've been blessed with some pretty amazing people here as part of the Westwood community. So can we do this? Can we say thank you to the Torres family for their willingness to share their story with us as we kick off Advent? And uh, so I'll have a story for you just to keep that theme going forward here. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I got a lot of grief because I confessed that uh, our family put up our Christmas tree two weeks before Thanksgiving. (laughs) And uh, yeah, same sort of reaction. So I, but as with all stories, there is a story behind the story. So how this all kind of transpired was the night before I infamously put up the Christmas tree, uh, we were over to some people who invited us over, friends of our church. And they were, let's say they were well-versed in having all of our family over because they invited all four kids too, which... If you ever decide to do that, I will forewarn you. It's an experience. But this family decided to take us up on that. And when we walked into the house, they had gift bags for each of our kids. And there was a name on it. And inside the gift bag were crafts and crayons and, you know, things to keep them distracted, which is very, very good. But also, there was a Christmas ornament in each of the bags for each of the kids. So you can just imagine with me what the car ride felt like, the night of, you know, when we're going back home, and then the next morning, it was, Dad, 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 come on, we want to put the Christmas tree up. So I caved, and, but Annie was a, you know, she was a conspirer in this too, so I went downstairs, and I got the tree, and I'm setting it up, and then I realized that my least favorite part of setting up the Christmas tree is the Christmas lights, because I had wrapped them in a very specific way the Christmas before, so I did not have to take good 30, 40 minutes untangling the knots that somehow always appear after they sit in a box that doesn't move, but (laughs) that did not seem to help. So I spent an hour, or not an hour, probably a half hour or so untangling all these lights. So I get the lights all ready to go, and as I'm stringing them around the tree, my kids are so excited to put these ornaments up that they have moved chairs up to the base of the tree and they're, you know, they're climbing for who's going to get the best position, who has their ornament highest on the tree. So the ornaments are up and the tree is strung and then I plug in the lights <laughs> and they don't work. <laughs> Which I, you know, someone came up to me afterwards when I shared this last service and they're like, you know, the first rule of lights is you have to plug them in first. <laughs> I said, no, I forgot that rule. And then here I am. This is how crazy I am. I'm going to different outlets thinking that's the problem. (laughs) You know, I'm like, no, no, the lights do not work. And here I am. You know, the kids are excited. Their ornaments are up. And I'm I'm not in the best of moods. And this, this season, right, Christmas, it's got joy. It's got delight. It's got wonder. And here I am, and I'm not feeling any of those things. I'm annoyed. I'm frustrated. And I'm even a little deflated. I'm like, oh, I spent all this time and it didn't go exactly as I planned. And again, it's a petty situation, I know. But it reminded me that, you know, this season for all of its joy and its wonder, sometimes there are feelings that bubble up inside of us that 
we seldom want to admit. They don't fit, really, with how we're supposed to feel in a time like Christmas. I mean, here's some examples. Maybe sometimes jealousy can rise up in us during this season because people are exchanging gifts and we wonder and we think or we wish, like, ah, oh, well, someone gave that to me. Or it can amplify our annoyance a little bit. You know, if we're going Christmas shopping and we're standing in line and we wonder, can it go any slower than this? <laughs> or, and this one's especially true for our family, you know, a season like this can almost shine a piercing light on loss or on grief because we gather together and now there's an empty chair at the table. Or maybe there's a relationship that we know is not in the best of places and we got to put on a good face and make sure Christmas goes well. You know, my point in sharing some of those examples, I, I don't want to put a sour taste in our mouths as we enter into Advent and into this Christmas season, but I just want to acknowledge that this season, for all of its joy and its wonder and its goodness, it can be painful too. But I want to encourage you with this. There is also no better season for us to look to God, for us to bring to Him all that we're working through and dealing with because God in his goodness, he's waiting with open arms to receive all of who we are, even the parts of our lives that maybe we don't want to admit sometimes. And really, that's what this series, The Gift Exchange, our Advent series, is all about. It's this beautiful idea that an exchange happens at Christmas. I mean, think about it like this. The birth of Jesus inaugurates the great exchange that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that you and I could have life and life eternal. John 10.10 10 says, so that we could have life and life everlasting. And we, we say at Westwood that we practice this thing called the rhythm of life. We live with open hands. God gives, we receive. But that rhythm also says that we too can be givers. And I just want you to know that we can give to God. We can offer things back to God as well. That's what the rhythm of life is about. And we can offer to him our hurt, our worry, our confusion, our loneliness, our inadequacy, you could fill in the blank. And to our surprise, God welcomes those gifts. And in exchange, he gives to us gifts that keep on giving. Hope, peace, joy, love. That can happen if we have maybe the humble courage to offer to God really what's happening in us and to us. And if we're honest, sometimes our lives can feel like a Christmas tree with lights that have grown dim, or maybe they're flickering, or maybe they're even completely out. It's, it's a way to say that we experience pain and loss along the way. And I just don't think it's in our best interest to shove that down, to ignore that this is a real dimension of what it means to be human. Because I mean, this is true for me. Maybe I'll ask you to reflect on this yourself. If you look back at your life and if you think about the valleys, the hard things that maybe you've walked through, we realize that those were the moments that formed us. Or at the very least, they have the potential to form us, to be and to love like Jesus. And I don't know what any of you brought in today. I don't know what you're walking through, what you're dealing with. I don't know if you've been battling with anxiety or depression, if like my family, you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, maybe you're confused about all the headlines that seem to just keep scrolling on our screens and on our phones. What's happening in the world around us? And so maybe our, our question today, what we're going to bring to God is, 
What is God up to? What can God do when we truly offer to him even the most vulnerable parts of our lives, when we give to him our pain and our suffering? Well, like the name of the series, I'm going to say that an exchange is about to take place, that God can take our pain and our suffering, and he can turn that into something extraordinary, something that we all need if we're not just going to survive pain, but actually walk through it so that we can emerge to a place where we have life and life everlasting. That's a, it's a promise, that's a vision that maybe I want you to hold on to as we take a short journey to world history. Uh, one of the most horrific times in world history, World War II, uh, specifically to Nazi concentration camps. You know, you could say that pain and suffering was concentrated down to death itself because of these camps. And uh, the most infamous of which was a place called Auschwitz, which was in German-occupied Poland. And over a million Jewish people died in the Holocaust there. It's a, it's a time in history, it's a place in history where it feels like it almost tore open the souls of people in our world. We ask the question, how did it happen? How could this have taken place? And you wonder, what was it like to be around, to be surrounded by such evil, by such despair? And there are people that did. Holocaust survivors can give us a glimpse into even what was God up to through pain and suffering as a result of such horrific things. And there was a man who wrote a book about his experience, a Jewish man named Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian psychiatrist, and he wrote a book that was published in 1964, and it's called, it's called Man's Search for Meaning. Some of you may have read that book. And uh, he chronicles kind of his own experience in the book, but because he's a psychiatrist, he also chronicled his observations of his fellow Jewish uh, people. How were they responding? What was happening to them as a result of this pain and suffering, just the horrific things that they had to experience? And so in the book, he notes four different responses that he saw from people as a result of what they were going through. And he said the first group was a group of people that turned callous. They, were, they became cruel people themselves. They were mean, they were mad. They, it's almost like their pain had turned them rock hard so they didn't have to feel anything anymore. So that was the first group that I noticed. He said there was a second group that I saw and they gave up. They were downcast, they were sunk, sunken, they were, they were feeble. It's almost like their pain had broken them down to nothing. They were just existing. They had nothing else to live for. And then he said, I saw a third group of people. And they had what Frankel calls a survivor's mentality. They had this positive outlook. They believed that their circumstances would get better. Uh, that their lives would be restored back. That, and the fact that they longed for the life that they used to have, it, it kept them going through the pain and through the suffering. And then Frankel said there was one last group. And he said it was the smallest group by far. And he described them this way. He said, I saw a people who had kept their full inner liberty and strength. He describes them as people who were able to stay kind. They were buoyant. Everything tried to shove them down, but they, somehow they just kept rising back up. 
And he said there was something about them that almost fought back against their oppressors, but not with force or with anger, but with love and with life. What was it about that fourth group that made them stick out to Frankel? What was it about them that I'm sure you're thinking was able to bring them to a place where they could walk through pain and suffering with a glow still in their eyes? How did life in a concentration camp not turn them callous or reduce them down to ashes? How were they able to get through it without even needing to hold on to this belief that they would just go back to their old life? Now, I know that these are extreme, extreme examples of pain and suffering. And there'll be few, if any of us, who even have, a, have a, even a small glimpse of that kind of despair in our lives. But there's something about Frankel's observations that I just find so relatable. Again, we weren't living in World War II times by any means, but just think of our collective time during the pandemic over the last few years. I mean, some of us were hardened by that experience, maybe because of loss of loved ones. Some of us maybe felt like, just throw in the towel, like, I don't know what to do. Where are we gonna go? What's it gonna be like? It felt like all of us wanted things to just go back to how they were. And here we are, knowing full well that things have changed. The world has changed, we have too. Things don't always go back to how we wish they used to be. And so if that's not it, if the belief that things will just go back to how they were isn't enough, what was it that allowed even Holocaust survivors to keep going with kindness and buoyancy in their lives? Well, Frankel observed that that group had something beautiful. What differentiated them is they had hope. Simple, powerful hope. Listen to the uh, words from the Apostle Paul here. He writes this in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 5. He says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You know, I think of Frankel's observations. I think of Paul's God-inspired words here, and I think you could say it like this. There is no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. And there's no way to get through suffering unless you have hope. Think back to uh, the people that Frankel observed in his experience as a Holocaust survivor. That first group, you could say, simply had no hope. And so their suffering turned them to stone. The second group, you could say, lost their hope. And so their suffering turned them into a puddle. The third group thought they had hope. But what they really had was optimism. And I'm going to argue that there's actually a difference between the two, though we will tend to use the word somewhat interchangeably. Optimism, it's a real and good thing. It's this belief that things will go our way. It's a look at the odds stacked in front of us, and it says, you know, I think things will get better. And it feels so much like hope. But if we place our trust in something finite, that we're going to get back our possessions or our positions or our old life, whatever that might be, 
And even eventually, if we do get it back, we realize that it's too unstable. I mean, it's possible we could lose it all again. It's why optimism in our circumstances turning around wasn't enough. It isn't enough to keep us kind and buoyant as we suffer pain and hardship and confusion. What we need is what that fourth group Frankel observed had. Hope, full inner liberty and strength. What Paul calls character being formed into hope. Hope that does not disappoint. And I was, I was reflecting on hope and it, it just dawned on me. It's, it feels like it's the only positive emotion that requires pain in order to be activated. Yeah, maybe another way to say it is without hurt, we have no need for hope. We only need hope when it feels as though life is unchangeable, that it's on this path toward more pain or suffering. And like I've encouraged, with, like I've encouraged you before, I, I just want you to know I think it's important to feel that, to truly know that neither we nor our world, we can't fix ourselves. Because without that admission, that maybe we're inadequate, that we're not able to do this by ourselves, we leave room for the miracle of hope when we're willing to admit that. There, uh, of, speaking of the word hope, in the Hebrew language, there are two primary words for hope. One is the Hebrew word yahal, and the other is a Hebrew word called kava. And they both literally mean to wait. And the word kava is actually really interesting because it comes from the root word kav. And kav is the same Hebrew word for like a cord or a string. And so the, the picture in the Hebrew imagination for hope is a picture, if you can imagine this in your own mind, think of a cord that you're wrapping around and you're pulling it tight. And hope is this idea that things will stretch us over time and tension gets produced. But also what, get, what comes out of that is an anticipation for things to go back to rest. And so the picture in the Hebrew imagination is a, is, of hope is a picture of a cord or a string being stretched to its limits and the anticipation that comes with believing that God will intervene. And in fact, that's the kicker about hope, biblical hope. It's actually less about the what the where, the when, the how, I'm going to argue that's optimism, good thing. Hope is about the who. And who are the people of the Bible compelled to place their hope in? Unsurprisingly, it was God. Because he was the one that rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. He was the one that fought their battles when they were uh, trying to defend their land. He was the one that restored their land after they were taken as captives and exiles. And so because he did it before, the people of the Bible waited in anticipation, sometimes even in tension, like a cord being stretched to its limits for God to do it again. They waited. They hoped. Because the only way to look forward sometimes is to first look back. And the people of the Bible looked back and they saw how God intervened in their world and in their lives. And their hope, their waiting on God to be God kept growing as they remembered his goodness and his faithfulness. I, Isaiah picks up on this theme as he is encouraging his people in their own time of pain and suffering. Listen to his words here in Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they who wait, there's that Hebrew word, kava, but they who wait, hope, kava for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, like Isaiah, like Paul, Isaiah is encouraging his own people. And now I think an encouragement to us with that beautiful truth. Here it is one more time. There is no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. And there's no way to get through suffering unless you have hope. Unless you kava, Unless you are like a cord that though it's stretched, it's not easily broken. Unless you have something more than optimism in the what, in the where, in the when, in the how. Unless you have an anticipation for God to move again, for God to be God. Unless you have hope, you can't get through suffering with kindness and buoyancy. You can't get through suffering without it potentially turning you hard or swallowing you up or leaving you empty. Hope is the only way, to use Frankel's words, to keep your full inner liberty and strength. And the best hope is in someone who will never fail you or forsake you. You need a hope, like Paul says, who won't disappoint. David writes about this in Psalm 62. I just want you to listen to his words as he pours out his heart to God. He says, let all that I am, there's that word again, wait kava quietly before God for my hope, my string, my cord, my kav is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Here again, like Paul, like Isaiah, David highlights our theme this morning. I want you to say it with me this time. Here and across all of our campuses, there is no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. And there's no way to get through suffering unless you have hope. And David gives us kind of an interesting, extraordinary look at what this series, this gift exchange, is all about. Because a great exchange can take place. It will take place if we're willing to give God our pain. Look at verse 8 again. Uh, Psalm 62, verse 8. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him. For God is our refuge. We can offer to God even the most vulnerable parts of our lives. And as we pour out our hearts to him, in his goodness, God can give us hope. For God is our refuge and strength. He is the ultimate kav, the ultimate cord, who will not bend or break even amidst life's most deflating moments. Uh, some of you uh, probably had heard this, but I was just in South Africa for a very, very short period of time over Thanksgiving. And uh, Annie and the kids stayed home, and I met up with my dad and my sister, and we went to my home country. It's where I'm from. And the reason we went there was to honor my mom. Uh, my mom passed away from a five-year battle with heart failure August 17th of this year. And uh, this was the first time that we had had a chance to get back to be with family who lived there, my mom's sisters, her mom, my grandmother. And so it was a very beautiful time. And the timing was really interesting because Thanksgiving uh, was my mom's favorite holiday. And the reason for it is because if there was an occasion or a reason to make way too much food so that we could have dinner for hours on end, that was my mom's favorite thing. 
And Thanksgiving was also special because um, sometimes my mom's birthday and Thanksgiving would be on the same day. This year, uh, my mom would have turned 63 the day after Thanksgiving, what we call Black Friday, which, interestingly, just a quick aside, they have Black Friday in South Africa. <laughs> I'm serious. I was driving in the car, and then the radio ads pop on. They're like, Black Friday sale. And it was, it just, it, I, I, I was so confused. I thought I was back in the United States, but nope. I was on the African continent, and, uh, you know, anytime I travel, I have to make sure I buy the kids something. So I was a participant in Black Friday shopping this year, <laughs> albeit another continent. Uh, and it was a little bit more civil there because it isn't as, you know, it, it's not as uh, uh, well known. But that Friday, Black Friday, what would have been my mom's 63rd birthday, there was a memorial service that was also held for her in the church that I grew up in. And uh, it was a surreal experience walking in there. For one, this, uh, you know, we have winter, it's their summer because opposite hemispheres. So it was 95 degrees and humid at 10 a.m. in the morning. And this church was not outfitted with the uh, modern conveniences of air conditioning. So I know I should not be complaining because it's cold here, but it was hot. But I walked into there, and what really touched my soul was I did not have to be the pastor that day. In fact, I didn't have to be the husband that day. I didn't have to be the dad that day. For the first time since my mom died, I could just be her son. And it was the first time that I think I actually entered into that identity, and it was so healing. Because I simply got to receive that day. And that's a good place to be. I'm thinking of this series, and as I reflected on that experience, it reminded me that it was the day I experienced what this series is all about. I got to enter into this gift exchange with God. I gave to God my sorrow and my pain and my questions. And through the simple melodies of song, through the encouragement of scripture, through my family being around, I received back hope. And I was reminded of what we've been saying today, that there's no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. And there's no way to get through suffering unless I have hope. Unless I can wait with expectation for God to be God, for God to fulfill the promise that I will see my mom again in resurrected life. And so as we close, maybe a question I'll offer to you today is, where is your hope? Is it in a better job, in less stress, in a future relationship, in a world without headlines? I just want to remind you that hope is not simply the belief that our circumstances will get better. That's optimism. Hope is the belief that an individual can make things better. And for those of us who follow Jesus, hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. And I can think of maybe no better way for us to end our service today than inviting the presence of Jesus into our very midst in the practice of communion. We're going to come to these, this table in just a few moments, and we're going to remember that the only reason we have hope is because Jesus gave it all, his all for us. And our hope is secure because we have hope in a resurrected king. And so we can bring to God today our pain, our confusion. We can pour out our hearts to him like 
David invites us in Psalm 62, and God will turn that into something extraordinary, a living hope. In our pain and our suffering, it's not too big for God, but if we're honest, if we reflect on our own lives, it can be too big for us sometimes. Our suffering can turn us into stone. It has the potential to reduce us down to ashes. And we need more than optimism today. We need hope in God. And because of that, when we have that, we can, like Isaiah says, we can mount up on wings like eagles. We can run and not be weary. We can do what Paul says, that we can actually not just survive, we can Rejoice in our sufferings because we have a hope who won't disappoint and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the reason that we can enter into life and life abundant. He is the reason that we can realize that the only way that this works, the only way that there's no way to get through life unless you know, you, uh, unless you know how to get through suffering and there's no way to get through suffering unless you have hope, the only way that that becomes true is if we have Jesus if our hope is in him. And so I pray that you pour out your life to him today, like David invites us to. And as you do that, I pray that you receive God's hope. You know, our pain and our suffering, if we're honest, sometimes we get stuck in it. Sometimes it feels like our identity because we've gone through a lot, either recently or in our lives. But today is a day that you can receive the hope of God, a hope who won't disappoint. His name is Jesus. And so as we close our service and get ready for communion, I'm going to invite you here and across all of our campuses, those watching online, could you open your hands with me? And I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you this morning. So God, you see every hand opened up, and it's this uh, beautiful acknowledgement, Lord, that our lives are in need of you. Our lives, we look back at them and we realize we can't get through it without knowing how to get through suffering. And the beautiful truth, Lord, is that you give us a way forward in our suffering. You give us hope. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever we've gone through, if our lives feel like a Christmas tree that maybe is dim or flickering or where the lights are out, today we can offer that to you. We can offer our pain, our confusion, our loss, our inadequacy, whatever it is, God. And to our delight and to our surprise, you welcome those gifts in exchange. You give us hope. And hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And it's in that mighty, matchless, powerful name that we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.